0: Awesome, awesome. Y'all can be seated. I hope that's true of you, that you are free, you're free in Christ. That is more important than anything else. And today we celebrate that. As we do every Sunday, as we have for the past 17 years uh, as, as a church. And 17 being, this is our birthday month, if you will. It was actually July 1st when we met for the very first time, and, uh, we, it was kind of our soft opening, if you will. It was just a Bible study group, more or less. We met at 103 Nita Road in Rogers, and we gathered there for the very, the last week in June is actually, we gathered for a week of prayer, and we had this, uh, last minute idea, hey, take a photo of everyone who's here. So we took this photo, and this is us. And I'll let you kind of gawk at everyone's hair and dress or whatever else. But uh, uh, it was really kind of interesting because this was the week of prayer photo. And we said, now y'all go home and pray about whether or not God's calling you to be a part of Grace Point. And uh, the next week, two of the families didn't come back. So we grew negative 33% in the first week. Not a way to start a church. But that's how we started. 17 years ago, we've been going ever since then. But it's not just a... Uh, it's not that simple, it takes a lot. i tell you, the hardest thing i've ever done in the world is starting a church um, and it's been incredibly rewarding. so we celebrate it today it's our birthday it's our birthday month, if you will and uh, we started in that in that july first 2001, but we didn't actually launch large, go advertise it and meet in the elementary school at Reagan Elementary School until October 7th. Now do the math, take for a moment, historically, one, where were you at, if you were even anywhere uh, on 2001? Okay, if you're in this room, and you're a teenager, you may not even have been here yet. But if you were around on planet Earth, where were you? What was going on? And then what was going on during that month between July 2001 and October 2001? You might not be able to remember that, but you also know it's right in the middle of that is 9-11. And so when we actually launched the church at Reagan Elementary School in Rogers, uh, it was in a time in our nation, in a time in our land that we were vulnerable we felt weak. When we thought we were invincible, we all of a sudden thought uh, we, we, we were faced with our own uh, um, weakness. Uh, when we thought that we were indestructible, all that was just a reality that, that we're not beyond our own fall. And so it was a... It was a, a a time to start, and a lot's happened since then. We've changed a lot, methods. We've changed ideas. We've done different things in different directions. And the great thing is, is that we're not afraid to change. We're even doing something tonight, kicking it off for the very first time. And I'm sorry to tell you right now, it's already sold out. But it, we're going to do another one in August. It's called a Family Night, which is literally a family camp where you come on a, on a Sunday night with your family. You can register for the August one, August 5th. But tonight's is 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 is, is is finished, but it's, it's kind of replacing our Adventure Point day camp. And so we're looking forward to that, to where it's not where you come and drop off your kids, but it's something where you come as a family and you do camp as a family. So anyway, more, more on that, but just, just goes to show you that we're not through inventing. We're not through changing. We're not through developing. We're constantly that. But here's the thing about, uh, about Grace Point. we we say even on our manifesto, on our website that we embrace change. And I'm, we mean that there's some things that don't change though. Okay. For example, methods are many. Principles are few. Methods change. Principles never do. There's some things that don't change. There's something many things will change if it's scriptural. We're staying with that. Okay, we're not changing the what we how what we call a family just because culture changes that we're not changing what what we call right or wrong just because culture changes that we're not changing to the whims of that we're going to maintain, as it says in Jude three, the faith once delivered to the saints. So we want to maintain some... uh, We want to be relevant, but we also want to be rooted. We want to be uh, innovative, but we also want to create that stability of rightness in, uh, in 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 where we're at and where we're moving from. And this is not because this is our idea and we've invented it and we came up with the idea of this whole church thing. That was God's idea. That was Jesus's idea. You think about it. He took a ragtag group of people Many, they say, in Acts, that were uneducated, but they was, they, what they lacked in knowledge, they made up for in heart. They made up for in passion and commitment and love and, and devotion to God. And they didn't have to have all the answers, and they didn't have to be able to debate with everyone, but they had something in their experience and in their own, in their own hearts that was life-transforming. I mean, they were even politically polar opposites. If you could think of a yellow dog Democrat, the biggest yellow dog Democrat you know of, or a fighting Tea Party person, and put them in the same small group, what kind of fun would that be? You know, think about that for a moment. Well, that's exactly what happened when Jesus was choosing his disciples. He chose, he, he chose hard right Matthew Levi, tax collector, supporter of the Roman Empire, and he goes over here and he chooses Simon the Zealot, who's wanting to leave a movement, lead a movement to overthrow Rome, and he calls, I'm gonna put you all the same small group and call you church. That's the diversity of it. And also he had women following. He had men. He had, again, educated, uneducated. He had Dr. Luke out there writing the gospels. And so there's so much that we can unpack in just that alone. But in, the, in, in, in boiling it all down when he was like just six months away from going to the cross and being crucified and going in the grave and coming out of the grave and then he was going to ascend into heaven, he had a plan. His plan was innovative. It was creative. It was never been done before. And I love that about our God. And his plan was, hey, I'm going to leave you with something. And here it is. It's not a new word, but it's a new word in a new context. It's going to be called, are you ready for it? Church. Okay, really, I mean, the air left the room just like it did just right then. Um, You know, it's church. Church. We're going to start church. And this church thing, and again, I know it probably doesn't just fill your heart with a lot of the excitement when you hear that, but when we understand what the church is supposed to be, that changes things. That changes the palate. That changes the way we smell and the way we feel and the way we conceive and perceive the church. In fact, when you think about what the church is to be, We say it around here, the best way to bless a community is to start a church. It's the only organization I know of, known to man, that will bless a community, body, soul, and spirit. You tell me of another organization, another club, a civic club, a community club, any, any organization out there that does that all rolled up into one, blesses a community, body, soul, and spirit, and I will change that statement. But that's a statement that we really believe is, is true. We really believe that, as, as Heibel said, that the hope of the world is found in the church. We hold inside of us a message, a savior that that is something that we can't just keep to ourselves. It's a movement maker. It's, It's what gives my life some sense of direction. It's what makes my life count whenever I understand and fully understand my role in God's kingdom. Not my kingdom, God's kingdom. But I have a role. You have a role. And you put us together in this and we become an unstoppable movement of God he can do incredible things through us. And I want us to be a a, a body. I want us to be a church. I want us to be a family where we are not afraid to show and to share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Everyday conversations with everyday people, we're showing and we're sharing. We're sharing and we're showing. Sometimes it's taking our words. Sometimes it's taking our action. Sometimes it's taking our words and our action. It's putting it together. And it's not always having a passport in hand and I gotta go across the world and go do it over there. No, it's going where we live, work, learn, and play. And it's doing it there. It's sharing Jesus, showing Jesus wherever. The reality is a lot of people giving up on the church. A lot of people giving up on the church. In fact, 17% of those Americans uh, across our land. Well, most of them will not be in church today. Only about 17% will on any given Sunday. Now I'm not talking Easter. I'm not talking Christmas. I'm not talking those big days. I'm talking just any given Sunday because they've given up on the church. And so I'm, I'm sharing today with you. So if you can be finding the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 16 is where we're going to be today. This is the very first message that I shared on the very first Sunday that we got together. And for the past 17 years, I've been sharing it about this time every year. If if not for you, because maybe you've heard it before, for me, to make sure we haven't lost what we started with. That we've not gotten off track. And make sure, Mike, Mike, are you still ready to lead this movement? to be that church that has been our vision since the beginning, that we want to be an authentic church for those who've given up on the church, but haven't given up on God, that we actually want that to be the case. And we're actually going to be passionate about that, that those, there's a lot of people, again, only 17% are going to go to church today. And so we want to be a kind of a different kind of church. We want to be a church that, that, that brings much more to the table. There's a lot of hurt out there and you can watch the news and read the papers and See the movements that are happening. It's not just the Me Too. There's a Church Too movement of abuses and hurts and pains that have happened. Man, I, I thank God. No, we're, I don't want that to be of us. I want us to be a safe place, a place where God's redemptive story can be told. If Eugene Peterson writes it, I'm probably going to read it. Okay, he's just like one of my. He's like a pastor to pastors. He took 11 years and he, he, he paraphrased the entire Bible called the message. Okay. It's a paraphrase, but it's a great paraphrase. And this is one of the things he says about the church. He says, our membership in the church is a corollary to our faith in Christ. You can't separate them out. He's saying, you can't say, I I want, I want Jesus, but I don't want the church. There's, there's a great connectedness. We can no more be a Christian and have nothing to do with the church, then we can be a person and not be in a family. Now, I'm thinking, whoa, whoa, you don't know how dysfunctional my family is. Well, it's true, and just like there are some churches that are highly dysfunctional, but you're still a part of a family. But this next statement is the one I want to key in on. It's a part of the fabric of redemption. It, it, it's a part of it. It's not everything. But it's a part of, it's woven into God's plan for what he wants to do. And this is why I say we cannot be a static, stale body over here, a building of people that come in. No, we need to be flowing. We need, there needs to be a movement about us. We need to be pressing against darkness and pushing against the fears and, the, and because as A.W. Tozer said about the church, he says, it's a, we're living in a scared world and we need a fearless church. And we need to be that kind of church that's, that's fearless against the darkness, fearless against the brokenness. And so are we, are we, are we gonna be that, that kind of church that's gonna require movement? Now, here, here's a question that I have to ask, ask myself. And you gotta ask yourself. And that's this. Am I ready to be a part of a movement? Or do I just need, I just wanna just want be a part of a church? I want to join it like a country club. I want to join it like a gym membership. Pay go a couple times a year. Pay my dues and and, and never show up. Am I ready to be a part of a movement? And what does it mean to be a part of a movement? Because what Jesus was calling His disciples to in Matthew 16 was not something static, stale, stationary. It was a dynamic movement that was marching forward. And let's see it together as we look at Matthew sixteen uh, and read it. So let me let's jump into verse thirteen, Matthew sixteen. It says, Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, we'll break that down in just a moment. But just realize that when we're talking about Caesarea Philippi, it's in the furthest northernmost part of uh, uh of Israel, modern day Israel today. It was an area that was uh that was governed by Herod Philip. And uh, so, therefore, Caesarea Philippi, named after Herod Philip, and it's a territory that was highly pagan, highly influenced by paganism uh, that was going on. And Jesus is just six months, six months from going to Jerusalem, just six months from going to the cross. And here he is in Caesarea Philippi. And he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? It's a good question. So, in your world, who do people Say Jesus is. And they says, Oh, some say you're John the Baptist, and others say you're a liar, you're uh, uh, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, I don't like it when it gets real personal here. He says, But who do you say that I am? Simon, his name was Simon, Simon Peter. He replied, he, he speaks up as he does so often. He's kind of that fearless leader who sticks his foot in his mouth a lot. But he, I mean, he steps up and he says, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. I mean, there's no, no hesitation, no equivocation, nothing about that. He knew who Jesus was and he declared it and Jesus affirmed him back. He said, Jesus answered him and said, blessed are you, Simon Bar Jonah. Simon was his birth name given to him by his parents. And he was a fisherman from a fisherman's family. And Bar means son, Bar, uh, Jonah. So he was the Simon, the son of Jonah was his dad's name. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. So he changes his name, Johnny on the spot right there. You're no longer Simon, you're now Peter. And on this rock, because Peter meant rock, he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be, will be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly changed, charged his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Now, it's interesting that he tells them that. Why are you saying keep quiet, mom? Don't, don't say because he's got six more months. It's not time yet. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to die. It's not time to start this movement, okay? You start the movement too early. Jesus doesn't, you know, so it's a timing issue. So wait till Jesus dies. Wait till Jesus resurrects. Wait till I am ascended. Wait till the Spirit comes. And then you will be my witnesses, as it says in Acts 1a, to the ends of the earth, in Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So that's the time that you're going to go, but right now, just get ready. Get ready because what what, what what we're going to do here is going to be a movement of God. And so what I said in 17 years ago in that home, it was more or less a Bible study, was I want to be a part of a movement. And, and here's where I think God is leading us. And here's the marks of a movement of God. And, and so jot these down if you want to or just remember them. But Jesus Christ has to be the foundation of our movement, Okay. And, and let's get, let's get that really really clear. There's a lot of things that can change. Again, a lot of things methods are going to change, principles don't. And that principle is that G, who Jesus is and where he fits into the grand scheme of things. So Caesarea Philippi. Let's talk about that for just a moment. So he's about 25 miles north of Capernaum, and one again one of the northernmost cities in modern day Israel. In this in this town of nothing less than a a, a just a cesspool of paganism archaeologists have uncovered 16 different shrines to 16 different pagan gods. That's how many there were. So in in these little caves and crevices is where they would go and they would bow and they would worship and offer their sacrifices to these 16 different gods. But in the big cave there, notice that. In that big cave, that was where they offered human sacrifices to the god Pan. Pan. Pan was this half goat, half human. So maybe he was a person with a goatee. I don't know. But it, it, you know, so if you have a goatee today, you're going like this right now. Um, so as you, and, and, and this, this this Pan God was this god of of pain and fear mixed together. And so if you didn't want to have pain or fear, you would go offer a sacrifice of a human. To this God. Now, think about that for just a moment. In fact, we get the word panic from this Greek God, idol, pan. Panic, pan. And so here, here's this, this, this city of all these different gods and all these different things, and, and Jesus is standing, I can just imagine him standing in front of all this. He says, Okay, guys, who do people say that I am? All the confusion starts. Well, I heard this the other day and this is what some people say and this is what popular opinion says. And so you can start seeing the different things rolling off the tongue of all the different beliefs through all the different gods. And see, it's much like it is today where there's a day, oh, it's all relevant. And you know, you have your Jesus and I have my Jesus and and, and we're tolerant and, and it's all relative. It's just lots of lot of stuff out there like that. Well, it was the same thing in the first century. And then I love it how Jesus... Uh, even struggles with, with that. But even think about it for, for us today. Who do people say Jesus is? In our world. Who do people say Jesus is? You talk to a Hindu. He's gonna tell you that when Jesus was a teenage boy, he was, he was taken off to India. And he went to India and he learned yogic meditations. And when he comes back from India, he actually becomes a modern first century Guru Gandhi to the, to the people of the Hebrews. And that he is a, he he dies and he becomes one of the millions of gods of the Hindu faith. 330 million to be exact. And if you want your Jesus, you can pray to your Jesus, but I'm going to have my Ganesh and I'm going to pray. And we had a Hindu brother who just became a believer a few years ago and was baptized in our church. Tell me at the, uh, at the end of the first gathering, he met me in the gallery and he said, you know what? I prayed to Ganesh all my life and I cannot tell you the difference it made when I started praying only to Jesus. But a Hindu will tell you that Jesus is just one of many gods. You talk to a Buddhist, Buddhist is the brother of... That Buddha and Jesus are like brothers. They're love brothers, okay? Buddhism believes in a universal love. If we'll all just learn to love, we'll all have this great um, ultimate aim in life. There'll be universal love and, and everything like that. And you can become a brother in this brotherhood with Buddha and Jesus and so forth. Then you talk to a Jewish person and they will tell you from the Toledoth Yesu, their history of Jesus textbook, that Jesus was the bastard child of a seduced Mary who gains magical powers and sorcery. You talk to a Jehovah's witness and they'll tell you that Jesus Christ was uh, the archangel Michael who came to earth. He was never divine. He did not die divine. He died a martyr's death. He was a witness to Jehovah and he did not rise from the dead. He was only the formerly the Archangel Michael. You talk to a Mormon, and there's more and more. I've noticed in Northwest Arkansas there are more and more Mormons. We have them across the street. They're our neighbors. We have a great uh, relationship, friendship kind of thing. But there's a world of difference when it comes to our theology on who Jesus is. They see that Jesus was conceived of Mary after God came to earth and had relations with Mary, with her, and that Jesus was good enough that over time he achieved Godhood. And you too can one day achieve godhood if you walk the line of the Mormon faith. Then you've got the postmodern out there, which is really not a religion out there. It doesn't have a church building or anything like that. It's just a philosophy that's out there that basically takes anything and everything and you can mix it together and make your own concoction like your own mimosa. You can just drink it away and just make it your own. And that's kind of the philosophy of postmodernism. And all of these are unhealthy, but there's another one out there that we got to be really careful of that will probably mark some in this room. And I don't know who you are, so I'm not picking on anybody. And that is the notional Christian. That's the person who says, hey, listen, I'm going to fill out a survey. And if I'm going to answer anything, I'm going to answer that I am a Christian. I'm going to answer it. I'm going to go to church maybe on Easter or Christmas. I may go whenever tragedy hits my life. But by and large, Jesus is just kind of like this relic in my life that I kind of bow to every now and then. But I really, he's nothing personal or real to me. He's not my savior. He's not changed me. He's not somebody that I commune with on a regular basis. Barnes says 44% of those who profess to be Christians are actually nothing more than notional Christians. So who do people say that Jesus is? He's a lot of things to a lot of different people. But I love what Jesus does. He turns it and he says, but who do you say that I am? Moves away from the masses, moves away from the macro, goes to the micro. Who is Jesus to you? 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 You've got to answer this question. I've got to answer this question. And and if I can answer this well, then I'm in a good shape if I'm confused and muddled, then guess what? My faith is confused and muddled. Who is Jesus? Peter was very clear, very frank, very upright. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. It's not just what everyone else says out there. The Jesus... That is the Christ changes my life. He changes my life in the way I relate with others. He changes my life in the way I see life. He changes my my life in the way I feel about life. He changes my life in the way I I, 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 I treat my children, my wife. He he, he changes everything about me. And I'm constantly in this morphing, remorphing, and rechanging life. That is a life in Christ where I'm constantly becoming more and more like him but let's just take one area. Let's just take the area of love. In this day of racism and increased racism and in this day of fighting and shooting, and it's just it's a, it's nauseating. We're, we, we're given something in Christ that we're able to love what can be unlovable. We're ambassadors of God's love. And I hope as a movement of God, a part of our foundation is that we are an ambassador of, of love to Strangers. Stranger danger, you've heard that? Well, what if we learn to love the stranger? Instead of calling a refugee a a foreigner, instead of calling an immigrant an illegal, instead, call them a person and love them. When you think about people in this world that are different than us, socioeconomic race differently than us, can we love somebody across the aisle? Can a Matthew, Roman guy, love Simon Zealot? A non-Roman guy. In the love of Christ, you absolutely can. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 19, he tells us to love the stranger. For we were strangers in the land of Egypt. He reminds them back to the time that they were refugees. He said, listen, we got to love them just like we were wanting to be loved. I love it that, that just a few weeks ago, I said it one time and five families jumped on it. The University of Arkansas contacted us and asked us if we would be willing to host some international students that are coming to, to America, many of them from nations that do not know Christ and you can't even be a missionary in their their country. But these students are going to come to our country and they're going to live in, in Northwest Arkansas and 85% of them will never spend one night, one meal at a, one table of one person in America because they're not welcomed in their home. But we had five families step up and say, I will open up my home. I will open up my life. I will open up my house and I will invite them in. I love it. And if you want to be a part of that, it's not too late. It's coming up at the end of this month. But how can I love strangers? How can I love those that are estranged? Those that are, it's easy to, hey, listen, let's all admit it. It's easy to love the people that's immediately in your family, right? Okay. Now, some of those extended family people, thank God, holidays only come once a year. You only have to love them for a few hours at a meal and all that kind of stuff. But what about those that are estranged? What about the exes? What about the bosses? What about the people that have offended and hurt you? See, this is the crazy thing about the love of Christ that changes us, that changes everything about us is that we're able to love even our enemies as Jesus calls us to. Love strangers, love enemies. What's this? This is life-changing stuff. When Jesus becomes a part of your life, why? Because Jesus loved us at our worst. How can we not love other people at their worst? Romans chapter five, verse eight. God shows his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, that means while we were still berating his name, that's while we were still cursing him, while we were still cheating, stealing, while we were doing all those things that, that offend him, he was on the cross dying for us. And just whenever we think, there's no way that love can cover that, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Love is greater than hate because love of Christ is in the believers, and it changes us. It changes us forever. In fact, Grace Point is a movement when God's people move closer to Jesus. And when we move closer to Jesus, we're going to love strangers, we're going to love the estranged, and there's a lot more. We need to understand what it means to love well, to live well under the foundation of Jesus. In a few moments, we're going to take what's called the Lord's Supper. It's a, it's a time where we stop and we look back at the blood and we look back at the body of Christ And if you're a follower of Jesus today, you are welcome to be a part of that celebration in a moment. I want you to take these moments together and just let the word of God, the spirit of God speak into your heart. And is there something in your life, somebody you need to forgive, somebody you need to seek forgiveness for Think about it. Somebody you need to love, somebody you need to allow love you back. Think about it. Second thing, Second component of a movement of Jesus is the foreman. He's where we're building. He's who we're building to. Remember I said what Eugene Peterson said earlier. He says the, that the church is a part of the fabric of redemption. He's doing, we're, we're woven into his plan. We're not plan Z down here. No, we're, we're plan A. We're, 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 we're what he was wanting. In verse 18, he says, and I tell you, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. I will build my church. I love it because it's Jesus doing the work. I will build my church. Mike McDaniel, he can opt out. And I'll do it without him. Lori, opt out. I'll do it without him. Listen, I don't want to opt out. I want to be a part of what God's a part. I want to be a part of what God's blessing. I want to get in on it and not be left behind. I want you to understand, to be a part of Grace Point, to be a part of this church, to be part of a movement, means I'm going to get in on what God is doing. I'm going to move in his direction. I'm going to let him build his church in me and through me, and he is going to do it. Now, here's some things. It seems like a little bit of a contradiction. When you go to Paul's writing, Paul starts talking about building. Like he's the builder. Let me read it. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 says, Paul said, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it but each one should be careful how he builds. So who's building, Jesus or Paul? Who's building you or are we following the blueprint of Jesus in this? I I say it like this. Jesus is the foreman and we're the builders. He's going to use our blood, sweat, and tears. He's going to use our energy. He's going to use our resources. He's going to use our, our hands, our feet, our ears, our mouth. He's going to use our eyes. He's going to use us, but we're going to build it off of his plan. We're going to go off of his way. We're going to listen to him. And whenever he says, I want you to be about the great commandment and the great commission, we make that our purpose statement. The great commandment and the great commission. It's the anchors on which we are about. The great commission, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. On August the 26th, we're going to have our next baptism service, and we've had 16 people since since June that have given their life to Christ, and we look forward to baptizing and celebrating each and every single one of them because every life matters. Maybe you're at that point where you've never declared your faith in baptism. The great commandment or the great commission is to go make disciples of all nations And baptize them, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. But he also gave the great commandment. Don't miss that. Here's real easy love God, love people, love God people you 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 want to know it when you get up tomorrow what what's your what's your, what your plan in this movement what what what's your activity supposed to be about what where I'm supposed to be about God's God's work here if you'll just go into tomorrow and love God and love people and love God and love people and love God and love people then you'll be on his plan and do it well and you will be on on his plan in fact he says those who will know you're my disciples when you have love for one another I like that one another phrase. You' all been around long enough to know that one another is an important phrase for us. In fact, we say that we exist for this. We exist to promote transformative community with one another. That's why we exist. That one another is a key phrase for us, because it unpacks so much 55 different times it says one another in the New Testament. Here's a few of them. Just think about it. What if I could be a part of, what if I could contribute to, what if I could be involved with a community of believers that loved one another, hosted one another, received one another, honored one another, served one another, so it's not just me getting served, instructed one another, forgave one another, motivating, building up, encouraging, comforting, praying for, ooh, confessing your sins. That means you're gonna have to be close. Can't be arm's length. You're gonna have to be in people's lives. They're getting their business and they gotta get in yours. Esteeming, edifying, teaching, showing kindness, giving, weeping with, rejoicing with, restoring. There's so many ways that we can do one another's. But to be a part of a movement means that we're not only going to grow closer to God, closer to Jesus, but we're going to grow closer to each other. A movement towards each other, not away from one another. Who do you do one another's with? Think about that. Number three, the third component of a movement is that Jesus is the future. He's where we're going. And we're going on his plan in his direction where, where he's leading us. Now, I want to show you in a few moments where he's leading us. Those of you in this room right now who are going to be a part of our testimony of what God has done and awakening, you can go out and go through that door right now. And we're going to have you a part of the service here in just a moment. But as God starts doing his work, he's not going to pull us into sterile bubbles. He's going to push us out into the world. He's going to send us out into the world. Now notice when he said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I love that phrase. The gates of hell. For the longest time, I thought, the church is on the defense. The church is where you go for a safe place, a nice little holy huddle, and you get inside the four walls of the church and everything's okay. Listen, listen, that's not the church at all here. The church of God is a movement, and it's going to press against the darkness. The gates of hell are not going to stop us. Every one of these lives that we're going to see turn on a light bulb today is a life that's been awakened. And it's been because, what does he go on to say? He said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against I give to you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. So again, his, his exit strategy. So what he does is he takes his keys to the kingdom of heaven. Logan, can you catch? You think? All right. Here's all of my life. If you drop it, my life drops. Good job. Good catch. Give Logan a hand. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, Logan, you literally have all my life. You have access to my cars, access to my house, access to my office, access to anywhere in the church. Boy, this is a cool place to hang out, too. Um, you've got access to lock boxes. Any little bit of money I got, you've got access to it now. Okay? You have it, it all. With my keys, you have everything. What Jesus did when he gave us the keys to his kingdom, he gave us the authority. He gave us access. And you, don't you think for a skinny minute that he's going to hold us accountable for that? You know, give me those keys back, Logan. <laughs> no, think about it. Uh, no. I would trust Logan with anything because I, I love him, know his character, know his family, believe in him. That's exactly what Jesus does when he says, here, I'm going to give you my kingdom access. Now, when we take the kingdom access and we stick it in our pocket and we don't pull it out except for our own good, have we not missed something? He called us to bring people in, not to push people out. There across the stage today, and you saw it, and you've been up here for weeks, and I just want to remind you of it. We put 508 light bulbs in, in, in a sign here, because listen to this. You told us on Mother's Day that there were uh, two thousand two hundred and four people that we knew far from God, and we're not talking about strangers where you got to go knock on somebody's door. We're not talking about going in a passport, going around the world. We're talking about showing and sharing Jesus with everyday people and everyday conversations, okay? We're talking about that, that level of, of relationship. We know these people. And so we took less than a third of them and put them on a sign. 508 stands for Romans 5.8, that God commends his love for us while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And I want it to be a reminder that we don't have to go far. We don't have to look hard. We just have to realize that God's given us everything we need to lead a movement, to not only, listen to this, a movement being drawing us closer to Jesus, drawing us closer together, but a movement is whenever God moves us closer to people far from him, moving closer to those who are without him. And I want us to be reminded today that these people, and there will only be eight on the stage because we've already lit some of them behind and but you're going to see eight and every one of those lights up there represents somebody and everybody has a story and everybody matters to God. And some of you are here and I've met a number of you in the first gathering and this gathering here for the first time. I don't know where you're at spiritually. If you don't know Christ, he's where it all begins. He's the foundation. You draw closer to him. But we don't want you to just draw closer to him. We want you to draw closer to one another's because you can't do it alone and I can't do it alone. I need you and you need me. But it's not only that. Draw closer to those far from him so we can get them in on what we're in on. Get them in on the good news of Christ. There's a song that we're going to sing. It's called Reckless. Ryan, in our first gathering, he he's a new believer. He just accepted Christ a few weeks ago. We have already turned his light on. And Ryan texted me this this song, Reckless. I've been listening to it for days, but when I listened to it in light of Ryan's story, it brought back new meaning. Because the song was written about how Jesus will give his love recklessly to us. He will come, he will fight through lies, and he'll fight through deception, and he'll fight through brokenness, and he'll fight through wounds, and he will push back the darkness because he will give his love recklessly. See, people have given this song some bad rap. When you understand the story behind it and the person who wrote it and how God, listen, he chased away the lies out of my life to give me the love of Jesus. Then you'll understand it better. When you hear these stories, just realize every one of them is a story of God recklessly pursuing them.